0: Welcome to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast. A community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. For more information, be sure to check us out online at shorelinecc.com. For our season this year, how many of you have seen that movie before, It's a Wonderful Life? You know, been around forever, great story, and coming out of World War II. And for me, as a kid growing up, I wasn't that interested in it. I mean, it was black and white, you know. Uh, but as, as I've grown older, I've really connected with it, and it's really be- became a part of our family's tradition on Christmas Eve. I, I would watch that, and uh, I had one kid who was a night owl, so uh, Braden, he would get up and watch it with me. And it just became a favorite tradition, and I, I think it's, it's a great backdrop for what we're doing because we're heading into this season of what's known as Advent. We were talking about it earlier. Advent is, the, is what we described, the four weeks leading up to Christmas where we celebrate the hope, the love, and the peace and the joy that comes from Jesus. And it's meant to be a time to prepare our hearts to focus us because there's a lot of distraction in this season, isn't there? I mean, you know, you, you may already have a candy cane overdose going on in your life. There's so many things pulling us out and distracting us. And so in these four weeks, we want to take some time to slow it down and to focus, and to prepare our hearts for what the Lord would say to us. Amen? Amen. So we're going to be diving in. And I really believe, you know, as I've been thinking about this, this movie, It's a Wonderful Life, it's really it's a great illustration of, of what a lot of people have experienced in this season. When you talk to so many, and when you read about what's happening in our society, there are so many people that Christmas can be a, a tough time. It's meant to be a season that has the hope, love, joy, and peace, but a lot of people, the more that we talk about it, it seems like the more hopeless that they can become. And this backdrop of It's a Wonderful Life, if you see seen it, you know it's, it's especially applicable because the main character, George Bailey, he loses all of these. He loses his hope. He loses his joy, his peace. He loses his love because George Bailey, the main character, if you watched it, you know that he was a young man. He grew up in this town, and he had these big dreams of traveling the world and, and being a life changer and going out and doing great things that the, that, that, that the newspaper would, would be able to re- report about, but instead... He finds himself staying in the same town that he grew up in, staying in Bedford Falls. And, 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 uh, and for a while, he seems to kind of keep it together. You know, he stays busy. He finds a wonderful wife and has, has beautiful kids. And, and he works the family business, though it wasn't his first choice. He, he supports the family and supports his heritage. But all of this is brought to a head when he faces a challenge that he can't overcome. If you remember, his uncle lost the deposit that was supposed to take place. And, and as a result, these, there's accusations that go around and the business can be shut down and, and George can even be brought up on charges that could result in him going to jail. And it brings him to this crisis point. And as he walks through, just a, a little note on this whole exchange that takes place. Uh, he had recently returned from World War II. He was, uh, he was a fighter pilot. Uh, and at that time coming back, it's, he tells later that as he's reliving that moment that sense of remorse he's bringing up a lot of the pain that he experienced and and the director frank capra he never wrote into the script to cry but this was such a moving scene for him that he just he couldn't hold it back in and i think it points to, to the to the fact of something that we often have to have to come in grips with that pain or this tension is a constant in life i mean how many have you know have you, have you ever had a year that there was no pain or no tension in your life going through and for, and, for, and for George, he's, he's living at this whole thing, but there's this constant of pain and the challenges. And I think it's, it's a fact that, that sometimes we believe that, you know, when we come to Jesus or when we give our life to Christ, that there will be no more pain, no more tension in our life. And sometimes I think, especially in westernized Christianity, that we're often surprised when it's like, hey, I gave my life to Jesus. Why is there still pain? Why is there still struggles going on? But you know, Jesus was very clear, and he told his disciples repeatedly because they thought that it would mean no more pain following Jesus. But Jesus said in John 16, he said, here on earth, you will have many trials and many sorrows. And even Jesus, he led the way by giving his own life and by walking through these constant trials. And in 1 Peter, Peter even writes to all of us, to, to people of that day, but people for us today, he even writes, stay alert. He said, watch out. For your great enemy, the devil, he prowls around roaring like a lion, looking for someone to devour. And every time I read this, I think about, I heard uh, someone say one time at community dinners, Sean, I'm calling it community dinners one night, someone gave a little devotion on this, and they talked about how, you know, the word here, the enemy is roaming like a lion, but he's no lion. Jesus is the Lion of Judah. He's the the one with the strength. But he pretends at times to be a Lion in order to scare us. And this is where George has found himself. He's caught by this. Because George, when George looks at his life... And when you watch the movie, you found that, you know, George has been a pretty good guy. He's done the honorable thing. He's, he, he saved his brother from drowning. I mean, he forgave people who hurt him. Uh, he even gave away his travel money. On his, on, on his wedding day, he had the stash of cash to have this incredible honeymoon. And when his dad's business needed help, they gave all of that honeymoon money so that the business could be saved. And he stayed home to run it, but life didn't turn out well for George. He hasn't traveled the world, he hasn't achieved the goals, and he hadn't fulfilled all those dreams that he had in mind. And So his response to this crisis, as a, as a result of, of his Uncle Billy losing the money, he, he yells at Uncle Billy, he lashes out at his kids, uh, uh, he gets angry at them, and he even finds himself on the telephone getting angry at the school teacher. And he ends up running to the bar to numb the pain. And we may be surprised by this, but we've all responded poorly to the crisis. I mean, have any of you ever responded? You know, have you ever yelled at your kids before? I mean, God forbid, have you ever kicked your dog? Don't kick Stanley. <laughs> right? Have you ever overreacted or gotten mad at an innocent party? See, we, we, we've all been there. And, we, you know, some of us may have run to a bar, but some of us may have overdosed on food. Or we've, maybe we've tried to increase our activity and we tried to just kind of distract ourselves. Maybe if I can just stay busy, I can kind of numb that pain a little bit. But the result of all this is we end up being separated. We separate ourselves from the things that we need most when we face a crisis. See, when we face these tensions in life, we need connection. See, separation is our enemy's goal. We think the enemy's goal is pain, but it's really separation and you know one of my favorite new books is a book by one of my favorite authors alicia britscholi and this is from her new book the night is normal and she says this so well when she says the enemy's work his goal isn't creating pain it's creating distance and toward his goal of creating distance between us and god between us and each other he can use pain or pleasure and for that matter Failure or success equally. Isn't that true? See, the enemy's goal is not to just bring pain into our life. Pain's going to come into our life. His ultimate goal is to create this separation from each other, separation from God. And this is something that keeps coming up because it's a constant issue. See, we all need connection. We need connection to each other. That's why we're here today. That's why we have men's breakfast. That's why we have groups. That's why we have our youth group, children's ministries. We have women's retreat. All of these things, when I talk to so many people, there's great teaching there. There's great stuff going on. But people walk away going, I found a friend there. I found a connection is Isn't that true? Right? Just getting together and hanging out and being with one another, that's the win. Because we need it. And it all goes back to what Jesus said when they asked Jesus what the greatest commandment was. Do you you remember that? When they said, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And they're trying to stump him. And he said, everything comes down to this, that you love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And he said, the equal is to it that you love your neighbor. Do you want to know who your neighbor is? Look to the person next to you. And not just today, right? Every day. If you're on the bus, if you're at Fred Meyer fighting for that last candy cane. Wherever you find yourself, if you're walking down the street and someone's asking for help, that's your neighbor. And Jesus said that the test of our love for God is in how do you love everybody around you? See, we need this connection. And we can find it. You can find it right here. That's why we're here today. This is one of the main purposes of the body of Christ. But the challenge is not just finding something. And you can take that illustration out all the way through to whatever it is in life. The challenge is not just finding something, the challenge is not just finding connection, the challenge is keeping connection, isn't it? There's been times in my life, there's been people I've been connected to, but then crisis comes, and then that's when it seems to be God, where are you? Or where are my friends in this moment? See, George Bailey, he's probably the most connected person. I mean, you'll see throughout that as he walks down the street, he's calling people out. He's making jokes to people. I mean, he's popping in, popping there. Everyone everyone loves him. He walks down the street, and everyone yells out, George! See, I can find a friend, and I can find a community, and I can find connection, but how do I keep it? How do I maintain and build it? Well, this is where hope comes into play. See, when we look at the Bible and we look at what the Lord is telling us, hope is one of the key things that keeps us all connected. Did you know that? Hope is one of the key things that it keeps us connected and it keeps us from losing the very thing that we need. And we all want the same things. And God spoke the, th- the things that we need through the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, Both for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. See right here, the Lord speaking through Jeremiah. He's identifying two key things. That first of all, one of the key things that we all want is we all want welfare, right? Welfare is about today. That we want to, you know, we we need food, we need shelter. You know, we need the basic needs of our things, of our lives, to be taken care of. The emotional needs, the physical, the mental needs. We want to prosper in every area of our life, in our relationships, in our work, whatever we find to do. But we also need to have a, a future. We need to know that there's something out in front of us. There, we need to know that there's something that we're walking towards. We need, we need to know that there's something that makes it worth getting out of bed in the morning. Have you ever had a time in your life where you're like, I, I don't even want to get out of bed today? There's, you know, what is there to hope for? What, it, what is there to do? Those can be some of the darkest times of your life. You know, I know that Americans have them, but I've found that even Canadians have them. (laughs) I've had them. But see, all of this is connected to hope in, in Jesus. And hope, when we look at hope, hope really it has two parts. When you look at, 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 at the root and the word and what it means, and you do all the word studies and you come in, it really comes down to these two basic things. That the, the word hope is talking about two things. That the first thing is that future part. The word hope, it means that there's this, this it means to wait or to look for. Uh, there's this expectation and to wait or to look eagerly for. So there's that thing that's out there in the future that we're going for. But there's also this meaning of the hebrew word for hope this kavah which means it means to bind together like a rope in other words hope is the thing that keeps it all together all these things woven together it's what keeps things from flying away and you know as i was going through this i was thinking about this the importance of kind of tying things down you know i remember when we first moved back to Seattle. Uh, back in 2014, uh, we, you know, we're in this process, and we needed a mattress, and someone had a mattress. So we, I, I was going to pick it up, so I grabbed one of my kids. The closest kid to me was, was Micah, so I just grabbed him threw him in the van, and we took off. And we go to this place, and it's a mattress, and that was back in my minivan days. Anybody in those minivan days right now? Right? Get the minivan, and you just kind of take the mattress, you throw it up on top, and I just grabbed whatever rope I had. And I threw it over it, and I tie it, and I put it down. And wise Micah said, Dad, is that tied off? And confidently I went, this knot has never failed. A little bit of foreshadowing in the story here, right? So we, we get down a mattress. Have you ever seen those illustrations those YouTube where the, mat, the mattress is doing this, and everyone kind of backs away? So, so unknowingly, we get in, and uh, a norm for our road trip is we crank the 80s music, right, the righteous stuff, and, and we just turn it up, we crank it up, and we're playing and we're singing, and I look in the rearview mirror where what to my wandering eye does appear, but cars kind of swerving everywhere around me, and I look behind, and this mattress is flying over, it's going over, people are scared, Micah's laughing, and I'm trying to hold it together. (laughs) More than I could say, but obviously, my hope was misplaced. I grabbed the nearest rope I had, I tied the quickest knot that I could, and I just took off because I was ready to get on with my day. But see, that's why it's so important what we place our hope in, who we place our hope in. The security of the cargo is in direct proportion to the security of the rope, that hope that we do, the, the ability to be tied down. Now, since then, I've watched a lot of YouTube videos. I've got some ratchet straps. I've got the whole thing. Nothing's moving. You learn from your mistakes, right? God takes your mistakes and makes a miracle. We sang that earlier. Amen. Amen. But as it relates to true hope, the things that matter, things more important than a mattress that I had to pick out of the mud. See, hope in Jesus is the only hope that never fails. And I think sometimes we can find ourselves putting our hope in things. that We, we, we think we're hoping in Jesus, that this is Jesus, right? But we have to be very careful because anything but Jesus is going to fail. That's why the apostle Peter, he says that, in Jesus, we have this, this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, never spoil, and it never even fades. And Peter said, this inheritance, it's even kept in heaven for you. See, anything else we hope in, it will rot, it will be damaged It can come loose, it can fail, but Jesus will never fail. As a matter of fact, this is one of the biggest truths about Jesus, is that he never fails. He never fails. We can be confused sometimes when we hit tough spots. We're like, Jesus, aren't you failing me? But he never fails. The Bible records it. And if that's not enough, history, accurate history, records the infallibility of Jesus Christ to his people. My life records it. Talk to some people who've been around here for decades. They've all been through stuff. They look beautiful today, but they've walked through some waters. And every one of them will tell you that Jesus never, ever fails. So how do we receive this hope? How do we we lay a hold of this? Well, see, in order to lay a hold of the hope... Did you know that action is required? See, hope is not just a just a ethereal thing that we, that we sing about. When I sing songs and I'm down the front and I'm doing, this is how I, I dance. My, my feet don't move, but everything else moves, right? And I'm just I'm just I'm giving praise to the Lord. That's that's just you don't have to do that. Some would probably say, don't dance like Pastor Dwayne. He can't dance. But when I'm doing this, I'm not trying to stir a feeling. I'm responding to something that's already happened in my life. I'm being reminded. All the songs that we sing reflect the word of God, his truth in our lives. So when I come together and I worship him, even times when I don't feel like it, it reminds me of, yes, God, you are faithful. Yes, I'm tired today. Yes, I couldn't sleep last night. Yes, I'm feeling terrible right now. But God, you are faithful, and you're taking my mistakes, and you're turning them into miracles only that only you can do. There's an action required that's not based on how I feel, Because, you know, there are days, if you're a parent, there are days you don't feel like a parent. You know, if you have a job, there's days you don't feel like showing up for a job. If you're in recovery, there's times that you don't want to go see that physical therapist that makes you hurt. (laughs) But if we want to have hope in our life, there's action that's required because hope is a verb, Hope is an action verb. It requires action because when hope is recorded in the Bible, there is always action to it. Jesus didn't just come down and, and just start reading things and then take off. There was an action that came to everything. His disciples did this. The prophets before him, they all, when they talked about hope, there was an action. See, hope was about Jesus. He took the action to come to earth. He took the action to be with his disciples, to be with everybody, and he took the action of laying down his life for us, though he was innocent. It requires this. And now for us, if we want to lay hold of this hope, we need to do the same thing. We need to take that action of laying down our lives, of of trusting Jesus in all of these situations, and just laying it all before him and giving up our life and trusting him that no matter what is going on, no matter what I see, God, you are sovereign. I need to trust him. Lead me. Be in my life. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Let me do everything as Pastor Harry talked about last week. did, did you love that message from him? This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I said that every day this past week. And Stephanie reminded me when I wasn't saying it because she was saying it. She's, she's a good woman. Yes. We need to believe in him. We need to trust him. We need to not lose our hope in Jesus when things don't go our way. That's why Paul writes, Paul writes, he says, Look, therefore, since we have been justified through what? Faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of Glory. We boast in the hope of glory. I love that. The glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. How many are shouting hallelujah in your suffering right now? (laughs) Because because we know that suffering produces what? Perseverance. And perseverance, character. And character, hope. That's what we lit today to remind us of the hope. Hope. And then Paul goes on to say this. He said, hope does not put us to shame. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I mean, you you could spend a lifetime going through that. That's why so many theologians and people who have walked with God, If they said, you know, if you're on a deserted island, you can only pull one book out of the Bible, what would you take? Romans. Because there's so much in there. See, Paul is saying when we place our faith in Jesus, standing by grace on Jesus, that suffering, this crisis, this tension in our life, is now, it's not that bad. But he's saying this is something we can glory in because perseverance produces character which brings hope that we need that we need even princess leia knew that if you only knew how many illustrations i'm not saying <laughs> see here's here, here here's the thing and all the math people in this room will appreciate this see god he's changed the math or i would say he's redeemed the math that the enemy tries to teach us. See, so the enemy tries to teach us this kind of math, that when you're in crisis, that means no one loves you. You ever felt that? You had our time, you're like, no one loves me. God, you don't love me. People around me don't love me. I'm in this crisis, and that's what the enemy shouts. When you're in a crisis, he's shouting, no one loves you. God has failed you. Life is over. And then if we think that way, if we follow the enemy's math, that crisis equals no love, then that's going to equal separation from God, which results in death. But this math is messed up. (laughs) It's not new math. It's old math that goes back to the Garden of Eden when sin first came into the world. This is his playbook. Count on it. Pain comes into our life. God, if you love me, why would you let this happen? And then we step back from God. And then we die. And death is contagious. It tries to spread to everybody around us. And we keep taking a step back. And we translate that to the body of Christ. Things are going hard. No one cares. I'm all alone. And before we know it, we're backing up, we're backing up, and we're dying. Have you ever seen that? Have you ever experienced that before? But see, don't follow bad math. Here's God's math. God's math is that when we hit these tensions, when we hit this stuff, he pours grace into our life. Do you know what grace is? Grace is something that you don't deserve, I don't deserve, and you can't earn it. You can't buy it. It's a gift from God that when crisis happens in our life, whether self-inflicted or inflicted by others. And I pretty much found that in every crisis, there's a little part that I played. (laughs) There's something that, you know, I missed along the way. But when I hit this crisis, God, he pours grace into my life. And then this grace now turns into, as I stand on the grace of God, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, to save the wretch like me. As I stand on that, what happens next? There's perseverance. I'm getting stronger now. He's poured grace into my life so that I can stand, that I can walk, and I start locking arms with people around me. That's that's why I come here. I'm not just here looking for an opportunity to get up and speak. I want to be with you. I want to be a part of the body of Christ. God's called me to this, and I'm walking in this, but this is about our connection. That's why I'm out there, and I'm going around, and I'm shaking people, and I'm scaring people, and I'm doing all this kind of stuff. It's the grace of God that enables me to stand because when I get through hard times, he pours grace, I stand, I'm getting stronger, and perseverance equals what? Character. Character. Do you know how important character is today? It's always been important. It's the character, and this character results in hope. We hit crisis, God's He's he's pouring grace, Do you know how big God's bucket is? He's pouring grace into your life. If you'll open yourself to it. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. God, pour your grace in my life. If you need that now, just pray that prayer to the Lord. Lord, pour your grace in me. I don't deserve it. I can't earn it. I need your grace. That will strengthen you to persevere. And then that will develop character. And that results in hope Because see, when we hope in Jesus, we're not hoping in a feeling, we're not hoping in an idea, we're not hoping in a theory, we're hoping in an action that has taken place over 2,000 years ago, an action that is taking place today, and an action that is taking place in all of our tomorrows. Because God is everywhere. He's in the past, He's present, and God is in the future. We don't understand it, because He's God. But you know that the Lord has already gone ahead of you, and He's laid things out in front of you, and he knows that you're hitting this challenge right now, and he's got a bucket of grace just waiting for you. Big bucket. <laughs> that if we will stop and say, Lord, I yield to you. Heal me, God. Forgive me, God. Whatever I'm going through. Pour the grace in. And now we persevere, and now we're stronger. We've now persevered. We've made it through, and the character comes in. That's why Isaiah wrote, and I quoted this earlier, that... that Isaiah wrote that those who trust in the Lord, those who hope in the Lord, that's what that word means, trust, they will find new strength. Every day, new strength, new every morning. And they will soar high on wings like eagles. And now we're going to run and we're not going to grow weary because we've allowed that grace to come in and to strengthen us. And we're going to walk and not faint. That's why Romans 15, Paul says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Now we're abounding in hope. And when I hear the word abound, I think about Tigger. How many know that old cartoon character Tigger, right? He's bouncing, he can be a little obnoxious sometimes, but it's it's just energy unleashed. That's what hope does in our lives. There are people here in grad school, and they're only in it because they have hope that they'll get to an end and they'll be able to do what they're they're doing. It's not because they enjoy writing papers. The first paper's fun, but the 100th paper is a chore. There's a hope. Or maybe you have a kid that's walking away, and you keep reaching out, and you keep loving that kid. Why? Because you have a hope for them. Or there's a health crisis that's going on in your life. I'm thinking of you, Don Campbell, stage four cancer. And you're going, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And your son David's sitting next to you. And I can can go across the sanctuary and call you all out as you hide away from me, right? It's that hope that brings an energy to us. And see, we need this hope as the worship team comes. And here's why. Tim Keller says this so well. Tim Keller writes that Human beings, we are hope-shaped creatures. Hope-shaped creatures. How you live today is completely shaped by what you believe about your future. Isn't that good? We are hope-shaped creatures. That's how God made us. That's how he made us to live, to walk, to move, to breathe in him. That hope in Jesus How you live today right now is completely shaped by what you think about the future. And the future is ultimately when one day we stand before Jesus and say, Lord, I am yours. My life is yours. I've given my life to you. That no matter what, though they slay me, yet I will praise you. If you don't turn off this fiery furnace, I will still praise you. I'm asking for healing. But you know what? This body, it's yours. Whatever the circumstance. Because here's the thing. Because we're hope-shaped, when there's no hope inside of us, we lose our shape. We fall to the ground. We live a vapor of what the Lord has for us. That's why Jesus... When he got with his disciples, the very last meal that he had, he said, guys, I'm going to do something so that you never, ever forget. It's what we call communion. And we're going to do this, this together, and if, if you weren't able to grab one coming in, if you just raise your hand, there's, there's people that can bring, bring one to you. Just, just motion them. Jim's over here. Marlon's over here. I mean, Jim's a living example. Last week, Jim gave me permission to pray for him. He was in a hospital bed last week with a heart attack with a stint that opened up 80% blockage, and now he's handing out communion. Can't you just thank the Lord? Thank the Lord for what he's doing? But see, here's, here's the thing, though. What I know about Jim is that even if that didn't work out, he's still praising Jesus. He's walked through stuff. And I can look around at all of you and go, you've walked through stuff. Anybody not walking through anything or haven't walked through anything? <laughs> this is what Jesus did. And as we hold these communions today, and guys, if you can bring, bring, me, bring me one as well, if I can, if I can snag one from you, Marlon. Here's a couple of our reflection. I'm, I'm chasing you, Marlon. <laughs> here's, here's a couple of reflection questions that as we hold this today and as we walk through it, The team's going to lead us in a song. You guys got a song, right? As they sing this and as you're there, I want you to ask the Lord this. What is trying to distance you from God today? Where have you lost hope? You're kind of losing your shape a little bit. So don't receive communion. We're going to do this together, but you and the Lord inviting the Holy Spirit to speak to and through you. What's distancing you from God? Is there a pain? Is there a crisis? Is there a misunderstanding? And then the follow-up question to that, this is the discipleship question, right? The first question of a disciple is, is, Lord, speak. Your servant is listening. And then when we hear, then it comes down, what are you going to do about it? Since hope is a verb, it requires action. What action is the Lord asking you to take in response to hope? Take this, hold this, seek the Lord in that. And then I'm going to come up here in just a few moments. And we're going to receive communion as the body of Christ. Can we do that together? Let's seek the Lord as the team leads us today. What a merciful Savior. Emmanuel, God with us. You know, as we think about that question, what's separating So it's trying to separate us from God. See, Jesus got with his disciples, and the death of Jesus was really tough for them because they saw that if Jesus died, we're separated from him, and we love him. We've seen him do amazing things. We don't want to be separated, but Jesus, he pulled them together, and he did this. And I encourage you, as you take that cup, to take it to the part where the bread's on top and just pull that open and just, just hold this little piece here. Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And he said, guys, look, this represents my body broken for you. And he said, I'm, I'm doing this. And I'm reminding you this, that every time you eat, that in order for me to be connected to you, in order for us to be reconciled, that somebody had to pay for all your stuff. Does he take our, mirac- our mistakes in terms of miracles? Yes, but it came at a high cost. Does he give hope in our life? Yes. But there's a cost to it. Now, he didn't tell that to him to make him feel guilty. It wasn't like, I gave my life so you better. He said, no, I gave my life so you can. (laughs) So you can come to me. So you can have life to the full. So that you can now, when you make those mistakes, you turn to him, you confess. See, confession is about being made right with God, right? It's It's like anybody else. If somebody hurts you and goes against you, and they come the next day and they go, hey, how you doing? It's like, wait a minute, bro, you just hurt me. (laughs) Let's deal with this so we can be reconciled. That's what it is, to be reconciled. So before you do that, whatever it is that's separating you, just, the Bible says that we need to examine our hearts. So if you haven't done already, invite the Holy Spirit, like David. When David said to the Lord, he said, reveal to me my unknown sin because I want to be connected to you. And just confess that sin to to the Lord. Say, forgive me, Lord. And he's faithful and ready to forgive us in the moment that we ask and confess our sin. Confess our mistakes. He makes a miracle of forgiving us and being reconciled and filling us. So just confess that to the Lord. Jesus, forgive me. I want to be reconciled to you. And as you do that, just take that. And I always break it to remind myself that Jesus, He paid it all. And let's receive this together. Thank you, Lord, for giving yourself, for dying for me, for dying for me, all my mistakes, all my failures. And then Jesus took the cup because you can't just have bread. And he, he took the cup and he said, this cup, this represents my blood that was poured out for you. And he uses the illustration that by his stripes, by the blood of Jesus, and the, the word of our testimony, we shall overcome. Through his stripes we are healed. This represents the healing that Jesus would do in your life today. Wherever you need healing, would you just bring that to the Lord? Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a physical healing, whatever it is in your life. Say, Lord, would, would you heal this situation? Would you do this in my life? And would you pour that bucket of grace into my life to allow me to stand to get that perseverance that would create godly character that would bring to life my hope? That's what I think about when I look at this. Just pray that prayer to the Lord. In thanks, And we give you thanks for it. And let's receive this together. Let's, let's drink this together. Amen, as we give thanks to the Lord, can we just stand together? And can we just give the Lord thanks for His goodness? Father, we give you thanks. Who am I that you are mindful of me? In my frailty and my failures? But yet, Lord, you look at me and you look at all of us and say. You're my son, or you're my daughter. You are mine that I've called by name, that I've seen every day of your life from the beginning to the end. Come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So, Lord, we take on your yoke, and we lean into you as we walk in obedience. And everyone said, amen. Amen. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. Father, we give you thanks for your love, for your mercy, for the hope that you've given to us now through Jesus Christ. So, Lord, we walk, we live, we breathe in you. Lord, I pray that as we walk through, that when we hit these crises, Lord, that we would look to you, we would receive your grace, that we would allow you to strengthen us, that we would have perseverance as we walk. The living hope of Jesus Christ. And everyone said together, Amen, amen, amen. Thank you so much for being with us today. We have prayer teams up here, and many are praying now. I'm going to do the benediction, but after I do that, if you want to linger a little bit, if you want to talk to somebody, if you want to come forward for prayer, these people are going to stay here, go to them, let's pray about it. Prayer changes things because prayer changes us. But this is our benediction. Let's say this together. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Now go and live for Jesus. I love you all so very much.